again, good afternoon, and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Lauren Landis. The late Patty Fink is running a little bit late today, but she'll be joining us sometime. Uh, our guests are Dr. David Lee. Uh, he's with Uptown Physicians Group, and Dr. John Carlo. He's CEO of Prism Health. Welcome. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, been a little while. Been yeah. a lot of yeah. yeah. Very, especially for you, Dr. Lee. Yeah, it's been my a second while. time. So. Yeah. So yeah. welcome back. Uh, the reason that we thought to invite you, we have lots of medical stuff that we want to talk about, but. Uh, David, you're leaving. I am. Tell us, are are you retiring? What are your plans? So I'm retiring from U.S. medicine. That's how what I'm telling people. I'm kind of too. I'm only 50, so I'm too young to retire. So uh, this Thursday is my last day. But I've I've kind of come up with three pillars of what I want to do in retirement. So uh, volunteer. That's my my number one thing. I I spent a. a a month in Swaziland during training, and it's probably the most rewarding mm. month that I spent in my whole medical medical profession. Just really sick patients, really limited medications, and and just trying to figure out how to use these medications and this population to the best to the best advantage. Mentally challenging, and at the same time, really helpful for patients. So, uh, volunteering that's my number one thing. Uh, number two. Uh, I'm going to write a book about all the problems with the medicine in the U.S. I've kind of ran practices. I've done a, the back office, the front office, so that's my number two thing. Why is John laughing? Because <laughs> it's, it's going to be a long book. <laughs> I was going to say, that's going to be a thick book. That's the 15 chapter so far. We're, we're, we're still working on it. There. And that's just the introduction. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then the last is education. I, I, think, I think gay men get poor health care and you in small towns but even in Dallas you go to the emergency room they don't know how to treat STDs they don't, they don't know how to treat even MRSA resistant staph infections it's been around since 2008 mm -hmm. and they still put people on the wrong antibiotics I saw somebody two weeks ago and I it just blows my mind so one of my one of the things I want to do is just go around in emergency rooms different places and try to educate people on simple things they can do to take better care of so, so your 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 new goals expands far beyond just HIV treatment. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. But I, you know, I, I do like I do like LGBTQ health. I mm -hmm. mean, if, if I can do that, but you know, if I'm in other countries, you know, I, I, want, I just want to help people. So, are you planning on training doctors in other countries or? So, so that's to be determined. You have to be determined. I mean, what I would like to do is go go into a clinic that maybe is not functioning the, as well as it could, uh, and, and just try to you know give my two cents. You know, here's how I th how I think you should do it, and you know they can take my advice or not. But uh, I, I don't want to work there long term wise. I just kind of want to pop into a place for a couple of months, give them my opinion, maybe help with a couple of things, and then you know move on to the next place. Do you know? Do you have a country that you've decided? Do you want to go back to Swaziland? I definitely want to. I want to go back to the place that I went to because this was 20, 20, right before I started. So 2020, 2002, uh, so they didn't have HIV meds at the time. I mean, there was really limited medications at the time. So I'd love to go back. And I mean, I, I hope they have HIV meds and just to see how things have changed over the last 20 years. Mm. So you have been with uh, Uptown Physicians close to 20 years. Yeah. That's a long time. It's, it's a practice that's well-known. It's a well-established practice. You're well-known in a community. How long did it come? It, I'm assuming you took a while to, it was a hard decision to come to this, to like, a, to, to leave. And again, you're young. Yeah. Um, 
it just struck me. I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not exactly sure why. You know, I, I think COVID affected everybody, and it, I think it, it, it affected the medical community too. I mean, it, it was sort of demoralizing. You know, patients I'd seen since I started in 2002. So, mm-hmm. you know, patients early on, patients really depended on my opinion. You know, this was pre-Google. You know, you know, they they came to me for advice. They didn't mm-hmm. know what to do and. Now patients come in, they know what they want, you know, they just want you to prescribe it. I've, I feel more like a drug mill now than a doctor sometimes. Oh, gotcha. So, especially with COVID, you know, mm-hmm. we couldn't even have a conversation. So patients would patients would come in adamant they were not going to get the vaccine without even having a conversation with me, who they trusted for 20 years. And it was really just sort of demoralizing, honestly. I, I just sort of recognized my place has changed over the last 20 years. And I feel it's a little more important than I am these days. You know, I hadn't really thought about it that way because I know a lot of people complain about their doctors who just do what you said. They just write them a prescription and when you're trying to talk to them, they just feel like they're not even listening. Yeah. I so, just left the doctor because of that. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of on the verge. He, so. had, <laughs> he had put it on my uh, computer records that I was supposed to be taking a new drug and it was on a second page. I didn't see it. So when I went back to him... He was really annoyed that I was wasting his time because I was not on this drug and I should have known about it. And I said, I'm not taking a drug without asking you some questions about it. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, even just a simple question, do I take it after dinner? Do I take it before bed? Do I take it first thing in the morning? I I kind of think that's important. Very important, yeah, you should should get those answers from your doctor. Yeah. The answer was I could have asked the pharmacist. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Hmm. Interesting. And then pharma, I feel horrible for pharmacists these days who, who are, you know, they're, they're doing their job, which is already too busy. Now they're trying to get vaccines and counsel. Mm-hmm. And you just, you know, they're having walk-off strikes. I'm, it, they're, they're, I think everybody's just overburdened these days. It's just kind of, it's kind of too much. And you throw the insurance companies, I mean, it, it, it takes enough brain power to, to see a patient, to be empathetic, to, you know, to figure out what's going on. And then you have to, then you have to write a note for that. Then you have to code it, then you have to bill it, then you have to get paid. It, the, the whole process is just so tedious and need, needlessly. Demoralizing. Yeah. yeah. Definitely demoralizing for sure. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is very, very difficult today to practice medicine and you know the the studies show for every hour you're seeing a patient it takes two hours doing all the paperwork and electronic health record work and so you know doctors like David at the end of the day if they've seen a whole list of patients they're spending all night charting all up into the evening and then starting up the next day and you know it it has become um, a, a problem particularly after COVID that, that physicians are demoralized mm-hmm. because we want to spend time with patients that's that's what we want to do I mean that's that's what we were trained to do we, we weren't you know intending to be documentation specialists but that's really what's happened at the end of the day unfortunately mm-hmm. and so uh, unfortunately the what you're seeing it you know with the lack of contact and communication with your physician is is a problem that's as a result of the system unfortunately yeah. and it, how the system's running and when you say system is that insurance laws that 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 make think, you do all that i think a lot started with insurance companies I, I, mm-hmm. I, 
you know, thinking about this book idea that I may or may, or may not write, but talking to Dr. Henderson, who, you know, retired years ago, and used to talk about you go to the doctor and you'd pay $5 a visit. That was it. You didn't have to document anything. You'd take a note to make, make sure you remember what it was, but um, you, know, you didn't have to document. And when insurance companies got involved, and then this whole mistrust, you know, there, there was some fraud. So, I mean, you know, you had to start proving, you know, I'm actually doing what I'm doing, but it, it, now it's just out of control. It's like more documentation, more codes, the codes change, the, the rules change, how you code. So you, you, you can't even keep up with, I, I, I could not honestly explain how you appropriately code a 99213 versus 214 and all these things. Why do we have to even have to know this? One, so right. you have trouble with insurance companies? Who knew they were out to make a problem? That's the, the one thing we, we don't often talk about is that doctors and patients have the same problem and it's the insurance companies. And a lot of times we don't, you know, we don't and, actually and say we're all on the same team for this because we, we get blamed. We get blamed a lot for it. Yeah. We're supposed to yeah. do the pre-author. We're yeah. supposed to do this, but it's impossible to do it. And then yeah. you have to wait three days because it's an insurance rule. So yeah. we're yeah. always kind of caught in the middle. And so we, right. they take the blame out on us and not who it actually stands with it it's, it's really the insurance company's issue and right and you know you know and patients think they me medicine should be free i totally agree i think it should be free but that's not the system no. we're under right. that's not how people vote so until we change the system i mean it's right it is what it is and what do you all do as doctors when you prescribed a necessary a, a medication to a patient that you know is necessary and then the insurance says, uh, 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 no. Right. I mean, you, you, I, I'm sure they put you guys in a quite predicament, like you feel like your hands are tied. Well, what am I supposed to do? Send the insurance and, company a copy of the death certificate. And then, and, mm -hmm. and then there may not be an alternative. There may not be a yeah. drug alternative. Yeah. It, and the, the sad part is, I mean, to the, you know, we have, we're, it's still our liability. You know, I mean, yeah. we, you know, the medical mm -hmm. malpractices, the insurance company does not have a medical mal malpractice policy. So if they deny coverage and that prescription is not picked up, they still don't see that as their problem. Wow. Wow. Hmm. And the law doesn't either. No, unfortunately not. You know, and I, I heard this really good, and I'm kind of stealing it from, some, from somebody. The, 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 the way our electronic health records and all the billing and all the systems in our offices are set up, it's so much not for the purposes of the physician to practice medicine no. right it's almost the opposite so if you think about an, an air airline cockpit like has all those gadgets and all that technology all the buttons and the controls and everything there 100 percent is so that the pilot can fly the airplane right that we don't have that all of that technology is not to help the doctor actually practice medicine actually almost opposite right i mean it's almost to slow us down it's a yeah, it's, it's not to help the patient be healthier. It's not to help us be more efficient. It's, mm. yeah, other other motives for sure. Yeah. So we're, we're going to talk about HIV, uh, a lot about that. And I know both of you all are specialized in HIV medicine and treatment. Um, but beyond that, I, Dr. Lee, I know you mentioned just um, health care for the LGBT community. What are some of the other issues that, the, that I don't know, that's, that's – specific to the LGBT community besides HIV? That's for both of you. Uh, John, you're quicker on your feet. You first. <laughs> well, so I, number one, the first part, the first problem is we don't have a lot of data that specifically looks at healthcare for the LGBTQ plus IA community. And mm -hmm. we know this is a very diverse community, so it's not a one-size-fits-all even within within the populations. But we really don't have a good way 
to collect all this information. In many ways, um, you know, if you start looking for it, you won't even find it because we don't collect that kind of information. So, so we're behind in even understanding kind of what we need to do differently in many ways. Gotcha. Uh, but if you do take each community, if you will, and kind of separate them, they, they, they all do have specific uh, unique challenges. Uh, and I can talk for the trans care, you know, in particular, and you, I know, can talk about the gay men's issues as well. And uh, gay women as well have issues as well in terms of access. And just, you just name it, they're, they're all there. But we don't really have a national level framework that says, you know, comparing these populations among one another, this is where we're doing worse. Is part of that lack of data is that sometimes these individuals aren't even identified. That's exactly right. Or they're not being asked or they're not identified. Right. Right, exactly. You know, it's coming, though. I mean, I work in electronic health records. Oh, okay. Living. Okay. And um, SOGI data is coming. Um, it's going to be required of everybody to record it if the patient chooses to, do, right. to disclose right. their sexual right. orientation and right. gender identity. Right. Um, but it's, it's coming, and I'm very excited by that and actually the ONC, the Office of the National Coordinator at HHS who governs all of health IT in the country um, has really involved a lot of people from the LGBTQ community yeah. in developing like what's in the drop down list when you say sexual orientation? What's in the drop down list when you say gender identity? Yeah, Are we right. capturing um, administrative sex or sex, yeah. sex assigned at birth? Right, you know those things. Yeah. So yeah. I think yeah. I think there's there's movement. But there it's is. not there yet. It's not there, there yet. Right. A lot Limited. of good work has been done on on the SOGI and the ONC out of Fenway Health. Uh, really, was and it's kind of like us in the Boston area, and they've done a lot of great work in this space. But I think even if you d design the technology, which I'm glad they're doing, we still got to restore that trust to even know that those questions are safe to be answered, and know that that data is then going to be in a system that you know we have to all and hope the person that you're dealing with is smart enough to not ask Patty if she needs birth control. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> and with everything else going on in the world, that the information is going to be used for good purposes and not bad as far as like trans health and other things like that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We, we got to be very wary, but also optimistic about the, the new design because some of these machines are, are not moving um, in this direction without a lot of advocacy work. And yeah. it will still take a lot. I, I agree. The trust issue is going to be huge, um, it, especially when we have such a tax on our population at large in legislatures all across the country. Right, right. Um, then to turn around and say, oh, but tell me, divulge all of this great information so maybe yeah. I can use it against you. Right, right. Or like Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt Medical Center. Right. I'll just, we'll just cough up everybody's trans right. healthcare records right. and not even tell you. Right, mm -hmm. right. It's so. It's gonna yeah, because I, I, I would assume there's some education that would need, that will need to be done to I guess kind of convince people to identify themselves because a lot right. of people like no like so my job has a just started I think last year um, I forgot what form it is you can't identify your sexual orientation um, but it's, it's voluntarily right um, so and I know some people they they still won't do it and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm like I I'm just one of those people yeah I need you to know who I am I want you to know who I am for statistical purposes right. um, but not everybody feels that way. Like, oh, it's my business. It's none of your business. Right. Yeah. So. But we've got to be better 
from the medical side to be able to ask the questions mm-hmm. effectively, even even ask the question number one, but then ask them and ask those questions in ways that you know are why and purposeful, and then establishing that trust as well. Exactly. And, and, and one reason is you know now circling back to HIV, you could go to uh, a general practitioner who has no experience in HIV, has no idea that you're a gay man, yep. and whatever you test positive and they don't know anything about it, well, if you tell them that you're gay up front, maybe they can recommend you to Dr. Lee or Dr. Carlo, you know, um, so you can get the b- best care possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, assuming they're testing. So, so I'm, doing a sure. round, I'm doing a grand rounds next Tuesday in front of lots of doctors. I've avoided this my whole life, but <laughs> I, I just feel passionate. I mean, that we need better care for, for gay men. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, one of the CDC campaigns is to get more testing, right? So uh, I was looking at how in the emergency room, is so many patients come in with HIV. Maybe it's a young patient with maybe they're 20 year old, they have pneumonia. We should ask yourself, is that really the diagnosis or is that just a symptom? They come in with shingles. That may just be a symptom of your immune system being off. So, so right. in the emergency room, CDC, everyone should be checked for HIV if you have any, any reason to think at all. But I think it was less than 1% of people in the US in the emergency room gets checked for HIV. In the South, it's 0.5%. Wow. If you're outside of the big cities, it's 0.1% of patients' visits get checked for HIV. That number should be multitudes higher, and, and it's not. That's where we stand. And what about the laws that Benton Jones was working on? And I don't know if this one passed or not. Didn't it made it out of the house, which was a victory. It's the first time that it's moved that far, and, and thanks to Benton for for carrying that that bill. It would have. It would have prompted what we've just been talking about is anytime you're taking any blood test for a medical visit, you should you should also consider HIV as part of that panel of tests. You'd have to not just be offered it, yeah, which is the way it is now that Maybe. they may, may or may not offer right. it. Um, but so to the, you'd have to opt out. Right. Yeah, the, the CDC is, recommends opt-out testing. Right. That is the official recommendation, but yeah. you know, you go to a non-gay provider and they may not think about it. They may assume right. straight. They may they make a lot of they assumptions. Won't. So one of my big point of my my grand rounds is you have to ask people: Do you have sex with men, women, yeah. or both? Right. And right. unless you do that, you, you know, look at that. The answer that leads to: Do you need to be tested for HIV? Do you need to be on prep? Do, how do you get screened for STDs? Which vaccines do you get? There's so many things that that question leads to if you if you answer. So a doctor that. might assume that I'm straight. No, who, no, Dr. Thank you. You're <laughs> listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laurent Landis and the late Patty Fink. Our guests are Dr. David Lee and Dr. John Carlo. And we'll be back with more right after this. The Martin- Hi, this is Patty Fink, and you're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. And we are talking to Dr. David Lee and Dr. John Carlo. What prompted this was, David, you are leaving. I am, yes. And um, I've been in this position as a patient multiple times where my doctor, who was too young to retire, retired. Hmm. (laughs) And the doctor I'm with now is my doctor who retired about 10 years ago and now has reopened his practice. and I'm so glad to have him back because starting a relationship with a new doctor is difficult. 
It's hard, yeah. It is. It's like starting a new friendship. You know, you, have, you kind of start from scratch, unfortunately. Yeah, talk about um, what it takes to find a, a new doctor, what you should do. Um, that's a it, good question. Is it okay to interview the doctor? And by no, interview, I, mean, I don't mean setting up an interview, but no, going I, for a checkup and asking him questions. You know, I mean, or I've, I've had people that wanted to, like, actually have an interview beforehand, and uh, I've always said no to it. I mean, if you want to, you, you can always go on, go for a physical. You know, you're, that's going to give you more time to get to know the person. You, you're not going to know to just sort of talk through. And it's a, it's a two-way situation, right? You might not get along with them. They might not get along with you. It's like a, it's a friendship, right? It's, it's a two-way, it's a two-way mm -hmm. relationship. So, uh, you know, obviously, obviously, check their background, check their mm -hmm. credentials, check their online reviews. Even although those aren't always correct, I'll be honest with you. But, <laughs> right, uh, you know, talk talk to talk to people in the community, and mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, there's there's not a huge amount of gay providers out there. Mm -hmm. I, I wish there there were more. I I feel, I mean, the one thing I will miss is. You know, I won't miss the EMRs. I won't miss. There's so many things I won't miss. But you know, I've known some of these patients for almost 22 years now, and that that is the one thing that I won't miss. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. I have had a couple of patients that came in just in the last week or two that they didn't get the notification that I was leaving, and I had to tell them, and that, that was that was that was a hard thing. That took a lot of my my appointments the last month or so have been very extended. Um, but what makes me feel good. The, the doctor that's taking over for me, he's younger. He's he's he's. We have similar personalities, uh, and I, I feel like my patients are really going to like him. He's he's very competent. He actually did more training in HIV than I did. He did a HIV subspecialty or fellowship. So uh, I feel good. My patients will be in good hands. So. So, I just want to before I forget. Uh, we have a newlywed on the show, and I wanted to say congratulations. Oh, thanks. Dr. Lee just got married. <laughs> Ooh, congratulations. 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 It only took 22 years. So. <laughs> a long engagement. It was, yeah. But I love the pictures. I love the video. Oh, so, thank yeah, you. congratulations. We got married in Vegas by drag queen. It was my perfect, yes. my perfect wedding yeah. yes. of all time. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but no, one of the other problems with finding a new doctor is literally just finding one day you can see they are mm. booked for months. Yeah. Right. A lot of concierge now, you have to be extra money. Yes. It's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. We had a doctor, uh, when I say we, my husband and I had the same doctor for 20 years, and he didn't leave the practice, but he went into administration, and we just missed him terribly. So we had to go find another doctor, and we were looking for a gay doctor. Mm -hmm. um, that one of the choices down to about a handful, and when trying to make an appointment, they're booked for months. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, fortunately, we were not... Either one of us was sick. It wasn't something we just needed a doctor today. Um, but for some people, you do need a doctor right away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the issue with the emergency room care, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like post-exposure prophylaxis, you get exposed to HIV, you need to get on medicines for a month to prevent it. I don't know why they do this. They only give you three days of medicine. They expect you to see another doctor within three days. You know, you, like you said, it's, it's so hard to get in and see a doctor. It is. Uh, so one of my advocacy is, at least get 30 days. That's the appropriate amount of time to give post-exposure prophylaxis, and then you know you have a little more time to at least find a doctor and follow up. But you're right; it's a, it's a it's a problem. And and tell uh, explain what is a post prophylaxis. Sorry. So so most people know about prep. That's mm -hmm. pre-exposure pre-exposure prophylaxis. So you mm -hmm. take a medicine before you're exposed to HIV, but not everybody takes that. So let's say you had a 
really high risk sexual exposure. You can take, you can get on medicines. It's not the same medicine as PrEP, to be clear. Mm-hmm. You get on medicines within, the sooner the better, at least within 72 hours. You take it for a month, it's a different way to prevent HIV. Oh, okay. So it's after the, after, after, so you kind of like the morning after pill, but it yeah, prevents yeah. it from <laughs> taking hold. Yeah. I don't think that's talked about enough. It should be. I mean, it came yeah. out way before PrEP, but you yeah. know, with prep, PrEP kind of, all these things get pushed by drug companies, right? And mm-hmm. there's a drug company pushing it. It's going to be all over the news, and everyone's going to hear about it. There's a thing called DoxyPep that's kind of becoming more popular where you can take antibiotics to prevent STDs. It's, it does great at preventing chlamydia and syphilis. It's never going to become really popular because there's not a drug company pushing it. It's a generic medication, mm-hmm. so you just kind of have to rely on it. You either well, have to know about it and ask yeah. your doctor. You have to be comfortable, but it's like yeah. 80 to 90% effective preventing syphilis, uh, chlamydia, 50% effective at pre- preventing gonorrhea and mycoplasma. So it, yeah. it works. Wow, I learned something you, new today. I didn't even know such a thing existed. Yeah. You're not going to see a commercial about it. It's, it's cheap. No. It's penny, pennies for the, for the pill. And, 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 you know, I think even the, the medical community has reluctance to um, do these kinds of things, which is, is really, really unfortunate because there, there are good studies, particularly on the doxyprep, that is showing now that if you take it as directed as really immediately after unsafe sex, uh, that you can prevent syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. And it's not just a little bit. Like, I mean, this study was, was discontinued yeah. early because it was like a 60% reduction, which is yeah. hmm. bigger, probably, probably about the same as condoms, I mean, overall. I mean, mm-hmm. which, I mean but even in the HIV primary care communities, this is not something that is um, well used at this point. And, and mm-hmm. it's, it's very hard to overcome, I think, some of our, perhaps our internal bias. I don't know, what right. would you say is that? You know, and, and you were always taught, you know, don't use antibiotics, you know, think about it before you use antibiotic. But at the same time, you know, if people get STDs, that increase your risk of getting HIV. And even though you can have complications and you can definitely, uh, you know, suffer the consequences of having an STD. So it's something that should be talked about. Yeah. I'm going to do my best to educate people, but uh, I'm only one person, so... So you should ask your doctor if it's right for you. Yes, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> there you absolutely. Go. Literally, right pennies a pill. That's, yeah. it's not expensive. And it works. Yeah. But again, it's a, and it goes back to the to the problem of not having good access to good primary care doctors, both in Dallas and across the country, and, and having to wait three weeks, and then having to reestablish a relationship because the way the system is running right now. Um, the medical practices are really threatened to be even sustainable. I mean, this is this is now not the practice that you got into 20 years ago, yeah, and, sure. and and probably in another 20 years it's going to be even different. Yeah. Um, and it's a real, you know, it's it burnout is very very high right now. I mean, it, it is it's not the same, and there's just it's all of the administration, the lack of control that doctors have in being able to have physician judgment, be able to provide care and do services, and not be you know constantly having to do prior authorization or denial by insurance. And another weird thing that's happening, you know, all these little clinics are popping up. You know, Walgreens has a clinic. Everyone has a clinic mm-hmm. here, the, the HEMS clinic. I don't want to promote them because I don't think they're a great clinic necessarily, but all these little clinics, but they take care of the easy things, right? They'll give you Valtrex. They'll give you, you know, they'll, they'll treat your cold. They'll treat, so that, so then when the patient comes to see us, they don't just have that one issue. Now they have 50. So yeah. we see the really right. complicated patients, which is even more burdens for us. We, we don't get the easy patients anymore, which you, know, you need a little, some, 
you know, a couple of easy patients to go along with the balance out, you know, your day. And now it's like every patient has 20 right. problems and it's right. just, it's just, you raise the complexity of what you end up with. Yeah. yeah and without, you know, without getting paid more money. Right. And yeah. And the other part is that the market, if you will, for healthcare, it's going to, it's going to go around it. So if you can't get in to see your doctor for three weeks, what are you going to do? Well, you'll go to the, the, you know, the urgent care around the corner right. that offers now online appointments that you can fill in and actually get seen sometimes in the same day. Um, and Amazon is going to start doing primary care. Yeah. And, you know, how is that going to work? Really? Yes. They'll send it to your door? You, you it is a telehealth appointment. Uh, you oh. put in the symptoms that you have, and it, and uh, you will talk to a live person. May or may not be a physician, maybe a, a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant. Uh, but they're offering it, I think, is like an $8 visit yeah. on Amazon. And you can, you know, if you have the, a cold, sore throat. But, you know, my question is, again, you, you have pneumonia, they treat you. Or you have shingles, yeah, they treat you. But are they going deeper? Are, are they getting to the root? Mm -hmm. Do you actually have HIV? Is there something yeah. else going on? And I feel yeah. like it's going to be such a cursory visit. They're yeah. going to make their eight dollars or whatever, right. whatever amount they're going to make to get their prescription. Right. But only if you're it, Amazon it, Primary, right? Amazon Prime. 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 But then, then you have. The <laughs> but you're kind of missing the whole right. patient. I mean, right. you yeah. know, you want a relationship with the same person that know, or at least the same practice that right. knows everything about you. That has got a long history. You can look back at where you've come from and. Right. Um, Put everything together. It's not you. Well, if it takes off, Amazon likes to monopolize, so they might come out with a ten dollar and a twelve dollar visit that'll get much deeper. I doubt <laughs> it's going to get much deeper. But I don't think you can do much more depth by <laughs> tele. But you know, but you know, competing against Amazon is, uh, and I think we can name names on this. Is so Aetna is a large insurer. Mm -hmm. They now own CVS, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is your largest and pharmacy the and they also own the minute clinics and they're buying medical practices around the country and so they're they are going to compete against an amazon by doing vertical integration of the healthcare system and here's what's wrong with that my medicare part d is with aetna so i get my medication from cvs yeah right they force you to um i got my flu shot at cvs I wanted a COVID vaccine from CVS. Well, they didn't have them. Yep. And every time I've checked, they haven't had it. Really? Right. But the Walgreens has it. But right. you can't get it because... Because I'm yes. on... I had the opposite. I, I had to go to Walgreens and yeah. I couldn't get it. So I, I ended up paying out of pocket because yeah. I really wanted a COVID vaccine. But yeah. Oh, well, I had the exact opposite experience. I, I can't stand CVS. Um, I really can't. Um, but I hope so, they're not a sponsor. <laughs> but um, I have, so I, I pick up my prescriptions at Walgreens. But my husband left CB, CVS, so we were able to give all three of us, uh, for uh, the two of us and our daughter, a CV, uh, COVID shot and flu shot same day right there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I guess it's just different for everybody. Yeah. Um, but it, it, let's, let's talk a little more about HIV. Uh, I, I feel like it's just so not in the news anymore. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think that's led to a lot of people thinking it's just not an issue anymore and it's cured. And we mm -hmm. know that's not true. Um, I was wondering if you all could talk a little bit about the difference between a cure and a functional cure and what's the latest treatments. Well, I have a couple of notes. I'll go first. So, uh, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, 
if you have HIV today, you're diagnosed early, you, you know, if you're diagnosed late and you have no T cells, sometimes it's, it's just hard to bring those patients back. But if mm-hmm. you're diagnosed early, uh, you take your medicines and you maintain access to care, you, you can have a normal, normal life expectancy. So that's why, you know, people aren't dying like they were before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so definitely different. I started in 1995 is when protease inhibitors came out. That's when the death curves really started going down. I remember that. I started in 2002, and that's when everybody was switching from AZT to Xeret, uh, and, and they got bad lipodystrophy, lipoatrophy, so we were switching people over to uh, different medicines to kind of prevent that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, it, the the medicines back then, people would get resistant. I used to remember all the, the genotype you know, mutations. I, I, could, I could spit them off the top of my head. I don't remember them these days. I have to look them up. I mean, most people that take modern-day regimens, they have a high barrier to resistance. You take it every day. You, you have a normal life expectancy. Uh, uh, the, you know, with PrEP, the trends are starting actually to come down. The less people are getting HIV because more people are on PrEP. There's still a lot of people that need to be on PrEP, and we need more PrEP providers. Uh, we talked a little bit about injections before. They're, the injections that are out, personally, you, know, you have to go in every two months for two really big shots. Um, I don't, That's not really appetizing to me. I, I tend hmm. to talk people out of it, honestly. Most people already take a cholesterol medicine, blood pressure medicine, so why not take one medicine for your HIV? I would but, think, um, John, at PRISM and your clinics, you'd have more people who were interested in the injectables because uh, a number of your patients are homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and for somebody like that who mm-hmm. isn't going to keep track of a daily pill. Yeah. You know, I, and I think this is, and, and I know David has this experience too, that, that uh, I think we're, we've been surprised by how much interest there is uh, in, in patients that would rather come into the clinic every two months and receive two relatively large injections rather than take a pill every day. And, and, I, and I think it's not just... There, there are definitely some places where we would think that there might be beneficial areas, like mm-hmm. people that are housing unstable or have other reasons. Maybe they're not in a safe place at home, so you know, having medications around that potentially could out a diagnosis is is, is pretty significant. Mm-hmm. And so we certainly see that, but I think there's still more that it's it's really people that are tired of taking pills every day because it reminds them of the stigma of HIV, and that's across the whole spectrum. I don't think that's, you know, lower or upper or middle income. I think that's all in between, everybody. Patients are interested, you know, there's some new ones that are probably coming out that will be maybe every six months or 12 months. That's when I think everybody's going to jump on board. I mean, no one wants to take a pill every day, but these are really pretty two pretty big shots every two months. I mean, they, 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 they kind of have their own issues, too. So I... See, I, I mean, if I were all. if I were in a situation, I would totally prefer the shots. Hmm. It's like, it's like a Ural pass. Part of it is the no-brainer of it. Yeah, you know, I only have to think about it every exactly. Two it's like to show my pass. Exactly. I'm good. I don't yeah. Have to think about do I have yeah. the right ticket? You know, what time of day? What right. kind of car? And mm-hmm. and yeah. I have a problem with taking pills because they multiply. Mm-hmm. I can take a Z pack which you take two first and then another one and another one so in three days you're done and there's still a pill there and i know i took <laughs> it <laughs> that's the ikea problem is there a, is, yeah. is there a difference between the efficiency between a pill and the shot or are they the exact same i mean they all work as long i mean the biggest the biggest yeah. issue is 
you have your insurance, can you pay for it? I yeah. mean, it's really more of a financial there's, job there's issue these days. I mean, if, yeah. if whatever you do, all the modern regimens, if you take them, they work. Okay. I think they've yeah shown to be pretty comparable. Yeah. Um, there are some situations I think we hear about that it may not work as well. So we are hearing, but this is still very very new. That is another thing is it you know it, it while it, these have been well proven through scientific studies et cetera, um, you know we've got a lot much more experience on the single tablet yeah. pill that we're taking right now that we yeah, know works sure. really 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 well. Sure. But that, so. that's definitely the future. I personally just don't think it's quite ready for prime time, yeah. but that, that's, that's where we're heading for sure. Now, is anybody who's HIV positive a candidate to get these shots? Or do you have so to meet some be, requirements? You sensitive to the medicines, right? So, you know, if, you, if you've had HIV for 20 years, you have resistance, they yeah. may not work. You know, it sounds like a new medicine. It's kind of older medicines are kind of put together. So you, you, have, to, you have to know your medication history and whether whether yeah. you're resistant or not. So you yeah. have to go way back and look in the chart that you're not going to get this on your Amazon eight dollar uh, <laughs> you know it takes a long time to right. kind of be able to go through somebody's out. complete yeah. you know yeah. antiretroviral history to see if they're right. the appropriate person for that. It's, it's not for everybody for sure. Hmm. Why don't we take our break? You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM and we'll be back with more with David Lee and John Carlo right after this. This is Rafael McDonald from Resource Center Dallas. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. And we're talking to Dr. David Lee and Dr. John Carlo from Uptown Physicians Group and Prism Health, respectively. <laughs> <laughs> we're all one family, we're all so we're all together. in it together. <laughs> and Uptown is a part of uh, Prism. Yeah. Yes. How is that working? working great <laughs> it's good you know i mean we we had with see we joined in together in 2019 19, yeah. and then we had a little thing called covid, COVID yeah. mm -hmm. um which i think was actually it would have been harder for each of us if we weren't together during yeah. that time because yeah, we had to sure. do huge amounts of transformational work around telehealth and just things that that neither of us were were the strongest in. i think together we did yeah. we did well um, I do think it, it it was a hard time, so a lot of the other things that we would have liked to have tried to do in terms of, you know, bringing more together was put on hold during that time. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it's just taken time. And, and one of the reasons that I wanted to join, I, I, I just saw the patient getting pushed more and more and squeezed more and more, and I, I just knew there was a breaking point coming. I, I knew we needed to be part of an organization that, that that could help help, help patients more, mm -hmm. and, and they definitely have over the years as far as helping patients with their medications copay or insurance, you know, insurance assistance and stuff. I mean, our patients have greatly benefited from that. That otherwise probably would have fallen out of care. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk a little bit about trans health care? Sure. Um, unfortunately, we've seen more and more states pass anti health care trans laws um, that are, for the most part, been directed towards minors. Um, but that's that's just that's not going to last for long. They're going to start going after adults too. Um, can you talk a little bit about what what, what are some of the challenges for uh, trans and getting healthcare? Well, it, it's it's very complex. And um, to start with, before all this began, uh, access to healthcare, affirming healthcare in this country was was difficult. Uh, it was layered against a lot of 
stigma within the medical community, to be honest. And, and, and most of our patients who identify as, as um, trans and non-binary have had significant negative experiences with healthcare before they come see us. So we're already starting with a, a um, situation where there's just been a lot of wrongs that we have to start with. Mm -hmm. So that was before all this very public, political stuff that just started happening. Um, and I, to be honest, I, I, I have trouble understanding it because, you know, if you look at the population, this is a very, very small proportion. Very of, small. Very small percentage of our population identify as trans. But yet we took half the legislative effort steered towards deciding whether or not we were going to allow for the access of hormones for people under the age of 18. So, so that's where we were. Um, mm -hmm. And it wasn't a fun fight uh, this, this last legislative session. There was a lot of misperception, a lot of untruths, a lot of things that were being said, a lot of things parroting into the media that were just not correct uh, and hateful in many yeah. ways. So unfortunately, we lost here in this state. I think of roughly 17 states in the country have now done similar bans mm -hmm. on um, gender-affirming care for people under the age of 18. Um, and the most recent... Uh, case was in Ohio where the governor, who's a Republican, yeah. um, actually vetoed right. the, the passage of that bill and they came back and overrode him. Yep. Yeah, but the problem with his reasoning was he said he went to health care professionals who told him that uh, the law would cost lives. So, yeah, and I always say that the medical community has not been all uniform on this either. Uh, this has um, percolated into what we'd rather not know is that there is not everybody agrees because just because we have an md after our name and this is something that's very very new um you know this is not something we have years and years of experience and so you you can't say that with all certainty we have this 100 percent correct but you know the thing about it is in medicine that's always the case i mean that's why it's a practice you know and, it, and we were trying to explain that everything almost everything we do today if you were practicing 10 years ago it's different yeah. mm -hmm. you know anything we were talking about the stresses of just being a doctor these days. So, you know, if you're OB Jen, you, you, you know, a, a woman needs an abortion because she's going to die and you can't do it. I mean, how do, how do, you, how do you do that? And, you, right. know, you know, these people need health care. You know, the trans, and the earlier you start the transition, uh, you know, the better outcomes you can get for a patient. But, you know, now, now you're faced with, am I going to get arrested? Am I going to lose my life? Mm -hmm. and so, again, just more stresses on top of what should be you know, you and the patient making some decision, you know, this is their life. You're just kind of trying to help them along the way. And now government getting, getting involved, insurance companies getting involved, every, everybody's getting involved in something that they need to keep their noses out of. Right. You know, that's you, one thing that I love about Medicare. They keep their noses out of it. Do they? For the patient. Well. <laughs> <laughs> if it's covered, know. it's covered. Uh, not so. It's it's especially the Medicare Advantage. I wish plans. I could I say that. I don't know why yeah. we have Medicare Advantage plans. It doesn't make sense to me. It was a big lobby. I mean, we should just have straight Medicare, mm. some Part D yeah. plan. But you know, now now all these pre-offs that we didn't used to have with straight Medicare, it they're it's cre it's it's out of control. They're more they're just as out of. I mean, they are it's yeah. United Healthcare with a medic on top of Medicare. It just makes it more confusing. Networks for us. denials. I mean, unfortunately, they managed and and doctors that just simply gave up and don't take managed Medicare anymore yeah. because it's such a horrendous. It doesn't pay. They, the rates are so low that it costs you to participate. Well, even if it pays the same, you're doing more work yeah. for like the yeah. same. I mean, yeah. you're not providing different services. You're just the insurance company. Well, to give you an example, I had an MRI. Uh, I got the bill, 
and it said the MRI was about three thousand uh, dollars, amount approved sixty seven dollars, amount paid sixty seven dollars, amount IO zero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely from a patient perspective. Right. I mean, it, th this has helped patients. Right. So, but so it, it, it does come with a cost. Yeah. Yeah. That money will come from somebody. I mean. Right. People who are paying three thousand dollars. Somebody will have to pay it. Either yeah. the you know you're going to get denied from some yeah, sort of medicine it, that it, you need it or all something. It, out. It, yeah. Going going back to the trans issue, trans healthcare issue. You mentioned, mm -hmm. um, Dr. Carlo, that you know just because you have an MD behind your name, not every but not all of you all agree. Right. So do you think part of the problem is that a lot of people, uh, medical or staff or non-medical, they don't actually perceive or see trans healthcare as healthcare? I, I think the the biggest problem I would say is that and, and is it what we started with because this is not a, a um, common situation uh, that, that the physicians that are really having trouble are the ones that really have no experience taking care of people who identify as non-binary or trans mm -hmm. and without that experience it's very hard to to really understand I think, and, and, and I, I, I'm still learning through the process, just, I mean, every patient is unique, and, and those unique experiences, you really have to learn, and without having those experiences, it's very hard to make any judgment on what seems right or wrong based on that cursory view, and I think that's the big problem. Um, the other thing I do think is our, our political spin that's happening right now is is showing a lot of these negative things that are out there and and you know for example we when we were in the the legislature talking about it there was as many people that were detransitioners as they describe themselves as people who were non-binary who were so literally when there was a witness list it was half of a populations that said they regretted having gone really? through it and have and what the reason was, if you look at it, a lot of those were, were brought in from out of state, paid for by certain political um, groups. And so this created a lot of noise and a lot of confusion. Uh, and if, if people had not had the experiences that, that we've had, it would be very hard to take all of that information in and really understand what's going on. But I think, too, the, the idea that there is political spin on science and medicine is pretty high. I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with women and educated women and medically educated women mm -hmm. who insist that um, a miscarriage is not an, an abortion. And yet, what would they doc document? They would say spontaneous AB. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, like, like they've lost right. their minds. Right. Mm, yeah. Like this. Of course it is, and that and that abortion isn't health care. Right. I, it's it's lunacy to me, and yet that's what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. They're out there. <laughs> I mean, I think they've always been out there in our profession. I mean, we we, you know, we trained, and you know, you were, you know, I can go through in my mind, and we, we went to the same residency, and we yeah. knew there was a, there was there was a different perspectives even at education levels where yeah, you but, were learning. But people things. have people take on this bigger platform. I mean. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, social media and you know, it, new the you know, whole news stations are based on fake news, right? I mean, it, if you say it enough, people start believing it. Yeah. So, it's the times we live. Yeah. Wow. Nothing is immune. No, no, no. I mean, truth is false and false. You know, there's yeah. there's no absolute truth anymore. 
Um, people are weary of vaccines. Mm -hmm. Still. Yeah. Well, I think t even people who've gotten vaccines, they're tired of getting them now. Uh, you know, going back, getting boosters. What vaccines should people be getting this season? <laughs> All of them that are recommended and indicated for everybody that are involved. You okay, know, so that would include flu. Yes. Definitely flu. Yep. The it's COVID you know, booster. Most people, you know, you, if you ask, well, how's a flu vaccine made? No one knows. They're just used to getting it, right? It's like no one knows right. how these things are made. Exactly. You know, it's like, well, how do you make an mRNA, mRNA vaccine? Uh, I don't know exactly, but I mean, I can tell you what the studies say, and you're going to do better if you get it. But the big, the big three, I mean, what's going around now, the tridemic is flu, COVID, and RSV. So if you're 60 or above, you should think about an RSV vaccine. And even for some people, the pneumonia. And pneumonia, yeah. for sure, if you if you're, have yeah. risk factors or 65 and above. I mean, the good news is we have some amazing vaccines. I mean, you know, if, if you stop and think about how, and let's just set the COVID vaccine aside for a minute because that has its own unique situation. But if you talk about hepatitis B now, yeah. um, you know, menin meningitis vaccines. Meningitis. Even the shingles, the new shingles shots, like 95 shingles. plus percent effective where the old yeah. one was only like 50-50. Right, so right. We're getting okay, that's... See, we don't even know it's in, in uh, tattoo ink either. I just like to throw that out with people. So <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> we don't know what's in it. Well, well stop you on the tattoos. So yeah. this goes back to your your point that I think we're struggling with is it's described as the anti-science movement, and for whatever reason, the vaccines have gotten co-opted or hijacked they become it, political it, yes and i don't understand why that is maybe that it just was a nice way to talk anti-government since a lot of our vaccines were school-based and kind of derived from kind of a regulatory standpoint but to me it, this is the the safest by far it's safer than getting it's safer than taking an aspirin once a day a vaccine is safer than that you know, it's the safest thing we can do. It's the best thing that we've ever done in terms of public health. I mean, it's the greatest accomplishment that we've able, been able to do. Mm -hmm. But yet it's being criticized as, I mean, you open up the and media and figure it, it out. And it's been coming along for a while. So it's not like, you know, it did start with COVID. You know, Jeannie McCarthy, the whole, you know. You're absolutely people, right. People stopped vaccinating for like, you know, diphtheria and we had like booster shots. So we started seeing diphtheria cases. 2008, I think, or mm -hmm. so, we started seeing mumps cases in the gay community. And so now, obviously, we make sure people are up to date on their measles, mumps, rubella, because those can wane. And, you, you, you know, vaccines aren't perfect. So you really kind of need to immunize your whole population for mm -hmm. those few patients right. that don't respond to it. And when you don't, you, you end up with these mumps cases and stuff right. that we should not we should not be seeing in 2024. No. I remember, uh, God, this was some years ago, you're right. Um, it didn't start, uh, this anti-vaccine stuff didn't start with uh, COVID. But I think I remember there was this thing about vaccine, childhood vaccinas, vaccinations caused autism. Yeah. And yeah. that's forever to disprove. Right. Well, it still is. And it's still not disproven. It's yeah, right. It's, it's bogus science, but it's, right. It's, right, people, right. Still, people still believe it. Yeah. yeah. And that was a debunked study that is it still has proven been. to been. Yeah, but it, un unweaving that has been close to impossible. Yeah. yeah. Um, the mRNA vaccines. It's a new technology to create vaccines. Um, is it one that might work for HIV? It is being studied, yeah. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Sure. And, and it's not new technology, actually. I mean, it's new, relatively new to, to us for the COVID, but they, they 
COVID vaccine, but they've been using mRNA technology for a lot of other things, um, kind of a little more on the rare diseases and some of the other things they're doing. So this is not something that just kind of shot out from nowhere. I think that's something that we hear a lot about, that this is so, so far investigational, and it really it really isn't the case. They had they had a, a pretty good experience with mRNA as a technology. Yeah. And we, we were sort of off talking about HIV, but, you know, they functionally cured sickle cell disease now by gene editing, and that is being studied for a potential HIV cure. So CRISP. Yeah. Yeah. yeah can, can Don't you, I, I will not try to explain that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just going to ask. I'm just going to ask. Can you, can, uh, can you either one of you, what's the difference between a functional cure and a mm. cure mm. on anything? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I think a cure, you, you know, the, the virus would totally be out of your body. You, okay. There would be no, nothing would be in your DNA, nothing would be in your, in your it's body. It's gone. It would be gone. A functional cure is... You know, it may still be there, but it doesn't cause you harm. You know, like like with sickle cell, I, I believe that you know the the abnormal uh, genes is still there part of the time. But you just, maybe you mm -hmm. can help me, John. I, you know, mm -hmm. I did not research it beforehand. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. But they can insert you know the the, yeah. the right genes so you can make the the right hemoglobin so you don't okay. so you don't yeah. have those crises or anything. Gotcha. Yeah, so I, it's I, a functional cure, but you still have it genetically, but it's but it's not. But functionally, you don't have any side effect. You don't you don't have sickle cell crisis anymore. Yeah, I think that I think the the definitions between the two are going to become closer and closer. Mm. You know, and I think we're going to be it's going to be harder and harder to have a distinction between the two, mm. especially if we're talking about perhaps where long acting injections go, where it's no longer every two months. Maybe it's once a year, yeah. or maybe even longer than it's. Is that is that the functional cure when we know there might still be virus replicating, but it's not significant anymore, and it doesn't, you know? And so I think that um, originally the functional cure started with um, it's hard to believe defined as not transmitting to somebody else, mm -hmm. which means really today all of our undetectable patients are functionally cured according to that definition. Now that does not gotcha. That's we don't really think that way now. Right. Hmm. But if they stop the regimen, does the virus come back in full force? Yeah. Fairly yeah. quick. Yeah. yeah. Fairly yeah. quick. Yeah. Okay. Days to weeks. Yeah. Oh, that quick. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So you got to you got you got to keep up with your meds, folks. You do. Sure. You absolutely do. Now we, they are working on some ways to remove the virus that's that you can't the medications can't reach, and so they are they are trying to figure out how they can get into the deeper areas where you could then you know potentially remove therapy and have that like they've been talking about that the long time it, and that that's <laughs> that that is a very uh but it, you know every time we go to these meetings we hear some some little step in the new direction on that and it's, yeah. it's always very interesting to see mm -hmm. where because you know and, and the knowledge on that and the human body after resulting in all these you know immune reservoirs they're writing textbooks on the subject by all these research on hiv yeah i think that the, but the gene editing and ai whatever that is you know i i I, I have more hope now than I had a couple of years ago yeah. about a cure, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. But I think the last thing, and it just I'd say one of the I don't you know just especially after we saw the COVID vaccine and how we got a lot of um, you know difficulty getting it out even when we were you know just by the the suspicion, if we did have something you know perhaps preventative for HIV, I think we'd have trouble in the communities getting it out. You know because I think there's still you know if we let's say we had the vaccine available. Mm -hmm. 
and it, but it had to be given uh, like, a, right. like, a like an HPV vaccine in right. childhood before right. you know people have sex and things like. Then it becomes the same problem that we have it politically. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a good point. Good point. Hmm. Well, that's a good breaking point. Hmm. I want to thank you both for being thank here. Thank you guys so, Thanks much. so much. Thanks for having me. And Dr. Thanks. Lee, come back when your book is finished. Yeah, uh, maybe it might <laughs> take sure. a little bit, but I have a vacation or two to take before that. Or after your trip. <laughs> yeah. That'll be fascinating to hear about. Can you do a quick shout out sure. to the city of St. Paul, Minnesota, who elected for the first time an all women city council? Oh, I heard about wow. that. Yeah, awesome. Only one of whom awesome. was a white woman. Oh. No. Wow, wow. So, That's history. Kudos out there. Yeah. <laughs> and our guest next week is Renee Baker. We'll be talking about counseling uh, for trans people. For all of us here at Lambda Weekly, have a good week.